Well, let's pray before we uh, come back and look at Luke's gospel again. Gracious God, you promised that your word is a, a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, and we pray that you'd shine it into our lives this morning and be just that for us. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Well, are you a pirate or a policeman? Uh, what's your instinctive reaction? Do, do you instinctively challenge rules, the pirate? Or do you instinctively try to keep them, the policeman? Well, when you see the keep off the grass sign, does that mean you've got to go on it, the pirate? Or does it mean not only you don't go on it, but you make sure others don't as well, the, the policeman? Um, in your childhood, did you lead the dares? You know, were you the one that got into all the scrapes and the adventures, or did you avoid them and keep others out of them as well? If you find it hard to think about yourself, what about the family? You know, what about uh, mum, dad? How would you rate them? Or brother and sister? Uh, just because you're a pirate doesn't mean that your brother can't be a policeman. It's very common to have brothers and sisters very unlike each other, and it's why brothers and sisters drive each other up the wall at times. Uh, I mean, uh, not to mention what they do to parents. Um, if you have more than one child, Rob Parsons wrote, they will almost certainly be completely different to each other, and that's particularly hard if your first child was compliant, because for a while you thought you were the perfect parents. The first loved helping with the washing up, spent hours tidying her room, saved up her pocket money to buy study guides. And the second is a little different. This little boy wakes up every morning and says to himself, how can I drive mum crazy today? And he goes to bed worried that he hasn't made a good job of it. Uh, well, Luke tells this very familiar family story, and it's not hard to spot which brother is the pirate and which one is the policeman. And they represented uh, uh, two groups that appear right at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. Uh, the tax collectors and sinners who were gathering around Jesus. And in verse 2, the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttering, he got his sums wrong because he goes in to uh, eat with them. Uh, the father in the story is clearly meant to represent God himself. And the test of great stories, isn't it, is that even when you know them, they still grip you and speak to you. Uh, this must be about the most famous story uh, ever told. And it still speaks deeply to us as, as human beings. Still has the capacity to surprise and move us. Still brings the voice of God into our hearts and lives. So meet the characters and somewhere along the line you'll say hello to yourself. Uh, let's begin with the pirate. Verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Uh, the younger son is the pirate in the story who pushes every boundary, uh, leaves devastation in his wake. Give me my share of the inheritance. Uh, it's yours when I die, son. Inheritance, that's what it's all about. I, I know, but give it to me now. Dad, I wish you were dead. That's in effect what he's saying. 
So he divided his property between them. Now, apparently, custom uh, would have meant the younger son was entitled to a third of the estate. But, of course, he wouldn't necessarily have that available in cash. He might have to sell land. It could cost people their jobs. It would certainly have lost him status and standing in the community. But verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Here's the obvious prodigal, spending recklessly till he got nothing left. And after he'd spent everything, verse 14, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. A Jew feeding, feeding pigs. They don't go together well. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I mean, you can almost feel his hunger, can't you? Have you, um, you know, he's run out of money, he's run out of luck, he's run out of friends, he's run out of food, he's desperate, and you could hardly catch his desperation more vividly. Have you ever seen a bucket of pig swill? Have you ever longed to have a taste of it? No, well... You know, he is that desperate. The, the, the pirate. And then there's the prodigal. Uh, yeah, you know, we've all heard this said to be the, the, the prodigal son, but there's another prodigal in the story. The prodigal word really means lavish, wastefully extravagant. Uh, it's what the pirate had been in blowing all his inheritance. But as the son comes to his senses in verse 17 and thinks of home again and in a new light, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death and plans his return and his apology. Can't you see him walking round that sort of pig pen thinking, what do I do when I get home? And I'll meet Dad there. Have you never had, you know, you've known you're going to have an awkward uh, meeting coming up. Have you ever not sort of worked out in your own mind what you're going to say? He'll say that, so I'll say this, and, and then they said, and he's saying, oh, what can I say? I say, Father, I've sinned against you. Yeah, I can say, I've sinned against you. Uh, I'm not worthy to be, yeah. He's pacing, and he's got to watch where his foot goes occasionally, uh, but round and round that pig's pen. Uh, and the spotlight turns to another figure as he comes home. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How? How? Well, because he was looking. Because day after day after day, he'd be there watching, waiting. It's beyond me what love will put up with. Um, listen to this parent. I know there is no greater force than love, but we've loved our son till it's broken us. We've bailed him out of police cells, had drug dealers call at our home and threaten us. He's stolen from us, abused us, brought us close to the edge of insanity. Sometimes we feel so guilty because we feel it would have been better if he died. At least then he'd be safe. But still we love. We can't help loving. Only God can help us to love like that. Only God? 
Well, only this Father, God. See, watch him move, verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his Son. This isn't a culture where fathers forget their dignity and run in public. Certainly not to greet shamed rebel sons, shipwrecked pirates. He threw his arms round him and kissed him. You know, it's a remarkable kiss. Bits of pigsty all over him perhaps, but fathers blind to that and impervious to the smell. And the son said to him, yeah, he remembered his lines. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said, I told you so. Why didn't you listen to your mother and me? No, he hasn't got time for that. That's not what's filling his mind and his heart. There's a prodigal lavishness about the father. The bills and invoices of past wrongs are not filling his mind any more than he's setting a budget for the party he's about to throw. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Didn't even say run a bath, clean yourself up and then we'll see what we can do. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. There's only one thought running through his mind. This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Can you believe that's God? The prodigal God. Can you believe that's how God treats pirates? who repent and come home. John was a highly successful banker in the city of London. And uh, he began to get curious about Jesus. Uh, he gave me an appointment to meet up at the end of one working day, and I, I went into his office, and it was one of those sort of open-planned offices, but there was no one uh, in it apart from the cleaner at the far end, and uh, he had a kind of glassed office at the other end of it, and we were talking a, a bit about it, and he turned to me at one moment as we were talking about God and faith, and he said, Hugh, you don't understand, I'm an evil man. And I told him this story, and I said at the end, I said, John, you don't understand, my God specializes in evil men. And when John saw that and realized it, he just knelt at his desk and began to pray. I have no idea what the cleaner made of it as she was working her way up the room. I see, a, a, a God who would welcome home pirates was very hard for him to take in, but unbelievably wonderful when he had the pirate, the prodigal. And of course, there's another character, isn't it? The policeman. The older brother. There's more than one way to rebel. And the older brother is certainly no pirate. Uh, look, verse 29, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He is very definitely a policeman. 
He could well have been a big part of the reason that his pirate brother left home in the first place. I mean, you can't see these two getting on very well together, can you? It's not a natural fit. Behind the front, the conforming image of dutiful service, though, lies another rebel. Classically holding it all in. His sense of grievance and resentment until it all bursts out. And for him, the party is the final straw. Somebody once said, our our churches are filled with nice, kind, loving people who have never known the despair of guilt or the breathless wonder of forgiveness. Well, the older brother's one of them. And the answer is not for him to go wild so he can feel guilty, just to see himself as he really is. And, uh, you know, it comes out very strikingly. When the dam bursts and it all comes tumbling out, it's obvious that emotionally he'd left his father long ago and as clearly as his younger brother had left physically. Look, where his father is selfless, he is full of self-concern. He is standing outside, defiantly refusing to join the party. His every gesture and every word oozes with hurt, pride and resentment. He can only speak of his rights and grievances. Verse 29, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, what's the point? All that hard work for nothing. I might as well have gone away and had fun like the pirate. And of course he couldn't have ever pulled that off. It's not in him. You know, even as he would have been opening his wallet, his calculator would have been ticking away, telling him how much more money he'd got left. The policeman in him would be tapping him on the shoulder before he could let himself go. You know, I shouldn't do that if I were you. It will have consequences. No pirate, certainly. But none of his father in him. Your brother's back. Forget it and party. Now, where his father's full of warmth, he's cold. Look at verse 30. When this son of yours, who's squandered your property with prostitutes, comes here, you killed the fattened calf for him. When this son of yours, knows he's no longer his brother, this son of yours... Your parents will know this kind of talk. Uh, You know, I I can remember going away and coming back and discovering one of the children had been playing up horrifically. Uh, And, you know, I'd be greeted at the door with the news of, do you know what your daughter's got up to? And suddenly it's just my daughter. On the other hand, when they've been brilliant, uh, you know, it becomes, our son has just done this. When this son of yours, who's squandered your property with prostitutes... By the way, uh, there's nothing that says that is how he spent his money. I mean, this is just uh, one brother, um, yes, sort of spinning the story against the other. You killed the fattened calf for him. You can almost feel the venom in each word, squandered, prostitutes, him. And he can't name him, he can't even own him. This son of yours is as near as he'll allow to thinking of the pirate as family. 
What was going through his mind, do you think, as day after day he saw his father standing at the window watching and waiting? It certainly wasn't a love that would melt the chill in his heart. Verse 31, My son, the father said, and you realize his prodigal generosity has shown as closely to this son as it was to the other. And again, he's come outside Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Remember the culture, just as with the younger brother, the father will take the stigma of publicly welcoming a rebel, risk the humiliation of public defiance, lose face and publicly plead, and his generosity is equally lavish. My son, the father said, verse 31, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. If I've got a sneaking sympathy for the older brother and his grievances, they end here. Father's generosity is not leading to injustice. Everything I have is yours. The inheritance is safe. The two-thirds remaining is yours. You are always with me. True, it just never felt like that because the policeman never realized how far he drifted away from his father. He thought fathers were meant to think and feel the way he did. But, verse 32, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, notice this, this son of mine, back in verse 24, yes, but now here, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. But policemen find it hard to get excited when prodigals come home. The pirate, the prodigal, and the policeman. Now, the lesson of this morning's story is not be a pirate, not a policeman. Okay, and it's not be a policeman, not a pirate. It is look to the father and let his prodigal heart be the family likeness. I want to leave you with a question, which is this, which are you, pirate, policeman, or Christian? It's the kind of story that leaves you curious, really, isn't it? I mean, coming home, was that the easy bit for the younger son? Did he ever last the course? Um, pirates always imagine that God's going to be like the old policeman. And if they come home, you want to pray that the first person they meet as they come through the chapel doors uh, is not uh, like this older brother. A friend in the church family who'd been something of a pirate in her time was talking to a, a friend of hers uh, who'd been sleeping around, living pretty wildly, starting to feel empty. And my Christian friend said, I told her my story. I included all the worst bits. And when I finished, she said to me, you mean I've still got a chance? Well, you have with the prodigal God. There's another question curiosity asks, of course, which is, did the elder brother ever go in? And if so, what did repentance look like for him? 
See, not a radical change in his external lifestyle. He's already dutiful, hard-working, church-going, but deep heart surgery was still required. And if our background is that of the policeman, older brother, realize how easy it is to slip back into the old ways of thinking and relating. Uh, I can remember... Uh, back in London, the church there had uh, some steps which, which a lot of the homeless folk loved to sort of spend the night on, and it really looked pretty messy and untidy. And I remember at one staff meeting someone saying how untidy it all is, and then another uh, staff member just said, yeah, but do you think God looks at them as prodigal sons? And suddenly people had to readjust their thinking. Um, Older brothers, you see, can sound pretty Christian quite quickly. Uh, Stephen was one of them. He, he never stopped going to church, unlike his sister, who really had gone off the rails. In fact, Stephen rarely missed any meeting at all, and it wasn't lo long before he was asked to join the diaconate, and here he proved to be efficient, dedicated, and a complete pain. He had strong opinions on how things should be done and often said it's important to have high standards for the sake of the church and people found it frequently hard to meet those standards, whether it was the worship leader, the youth pastor, the single parent mum whose kids would sometimes disturb the family service and when they failed, Stephen told them so. You see, Jesus is teaching... Tim Keller, the American pastor, author, writes, consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today don't have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. We tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. And that can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners don't have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be more full of older brothers than we'd like to think. It's a challenging thought, isn't it? I remember um, in Sheffield, a, a, a church we were in there, a group of mums whose children had drifted away from the faith and met to pray together. They called themselves the Prodigal's Prayer Group. Uh, and a 20-something-year-old single girl joined them. She'd been a prodigal herself, and she meets with them to pray and encourage and give some practical insight and advice uh, the older brother Stevens of this world wouldn't really know how to handle a prodigal's prayer group. But the older brother who bears the family likeness and shares the father's heart, now he's not in the story because he's telling it. Jesus spent his fortune on us. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor left the riches of heaven for a stable. Jesus spent his reputation on us. He came to seek and to save the lost. And they mocked him and wrote him off for it. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Jesus spent Himself on us. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, speaking personally, I I look at Him and I'm humbled and convicted. I, I think of friends who've drifted out of my lifestyle orbits. I don't feel I look down my nose on them and I don't care. I just realize how easy busyness and distance allows us to drift away under a wealth of plausible reasons, you know, time, effort, family, why should I, or why shouldn't he or she? I'm a million miles from the Father, watching and waiting, never mind seeking and saving. So you see, I I wonder if there's a, a phone call someone here needs to make today. Uh, just to ring and say, I just want you to know I love you in spite of. Break the silence that's grown up between parent and child or between child and parent. Break the silence between brother and sister. Make the first contact. It doesn't matter who ought to. Maybe it's a friend who's drifted from the faith and slipped from your circle and you need to find and fix a date to meet. Never mind who's wronged whom. Make the first move. Pirate? Policeman? Christian? And you see... What we do as individuals will work itself through into what kind of church we are. And I imagine, like any true church family, we long to be the kind of place which is a home for returning pirates, sons and daughters, not a reason for departing ones. So let's pray we're like that. Here's a great Bible prayer to make our own. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.